be like myself anymore I'm like a lost key in the kitchen drawer Just waiting for someone to show me to the door Hey up, my name's Ben, and you're listening to file 43 of the YYY Files. This file belongs to another guy who's put a lot of time and energy into their support for Stoke. Not only watching the men's team, but also watching and working with the women's team. I know he wants to talk about both, and I'm excited to do so. He's also the only person to be on this podcast to have ever pulled me a pint. James Knowles, (laughs) how are you, mate? What an introduction. I'm very well, thanks, Ben. How are you doing, mate? I'm all right. I'm all right, thank you. Yes, I, I'll be honest. I, I wish you were pulling me a pint now. I, I wish I was in the pub, but this this experience, I'm sure, will come a very close second to that. Yeah, we'll have a, a virtual pint together over yeah. over this podcast. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I don't normally drink during recording a podcast, but I, I, I will pretend that that's the vibe that we're going for. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, I, I don't really drink at home, personally. I, I reserve it for the pub to make it feel special. But yeah, I'll... I'll anyway, that's that's me going on tangents. I, I warned about that as we were off air just then. Tangents, I'm very sorry, everyone. Anyway, the Wild 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 Files are Stoke City stories, and they're told by you. If you want to do exactly what James is doing today, you can. Head to thewildwildwildfiles.com. Link's in the description. So, mate, my first question, as ever on this podcast... And I don't know if I know the answer to this question. Why, why, why are you a Stoke fan? And I want to know from the beginning. Well, it's my dad's fault, to be honest. I (laughs) I was born in Lancashire, Mm -hmm. um, but my dad is from Stoke-on-Trent and he's been a Stokey forever. And I always wanted to kick a ball and I suppose my dad was an influence on that. Mm. And we lived just around the corner from Morecambe. Morecambe's ground, okay. uh, Christie Park, and they weren't very good at the time. They're not <laughs> particularly good now either, but no. they, they were non-league then. And my first football experiences were walking to that ground as a Michelin man, as my mum kindly described me, <laughs> wearing about 27 layers so that I didn't catch a cold. Yeah, And I went to these games, I don't know, maybe there were 500 fans there, mm-hmm. but I, I still kind of got that nice sense of atmosphere, the smell of the the green grass and the mud and the cheers when the goals went in. And then in January 1993, my dad decided it was the right time to take me to the Victoria ground for the first time. <laughs> and I just remember walking through those turnstiles in the Stoke end, the smell of tobacco in the air, and walking up the steps up towards my seat and then seeing this huge stadium, like as a as a seven-year-old as I was at the time, it seemed like the biggest thing ever, almost like seven Wembleys put together. Then we walked to our seats. We were probably there about an hour before kickoff, so there were only about 10 people in the ground at the mm. time. But I was so excited. I remember getting my programme, reading it from front to cover, or at least looking at the pictures in there. And Stoke ended up winning 4-0, which... Sadly, wasn't a, a sign of what was to come, but <laughs> I loved every second of it. Uh, I remember getting told off by the guy in front of me because I was getting so excited. I was kicking the chair. Oh, no, <laughs> that's typical. I've done yeah. that before. Oh, get, gave me right ticking off. So I, I felt a little <laughs> bit bad for that. But yeah, one four nil, And we ended up getting promoted as champions that season. I went to 
Went to about five or six games that year. In fact, my second game was also a 4-0 win. Would you believe it? Two, my first two Stoke games were 4-0, and I've probably only seen us win about one more game 4-0 since say, then. I very, very lucky. I don't think I've seen very many at all. Well, possibly two, same as you now. Oh, well. <laughs> anyway, sorry. But yes, it's uh, it's my dad's fault, but I wouldn't want it any other way. I think whichever football team you support it, once it's in your blood, it's in your blood to stay, isn't it? And yeah, I I do think Stoke Stoke City is a is a unique club, a special club. But then you ask a Bradford fan if their club's unique and special, they'll probably say exactly the same thing. But we're yeah. we're a great group of supporters, really, really loyal supporters. I mean. When we were when we were in the third tier, we'd be taking huge numbers of supporters across the country, and I, I think that's what I lo- I love the most about about following football, mm. going to all corners of the of the UK with like minded nutters, really. Yeah, this is it, and and this is why a platform like this exists because it's it, it is genuinely fans that make it really, and and it's the experience you have, not always necessarily with the football, and I think that people have realised that this season, but it's the experience that you have with other people, especially it sounds like people like your dad, who seems to have set you up really well. He he took you to Morecambe as almost like a like a training for you to come to Stoke, even even down down to looking like the Michelin man with all your layers, they would have come very, very useful come going to the Britannia Stadium. Um, or even the Victoria ground, you said it was your time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to see, what, three or four seasons at the Vic. Mm. And I sat in every stand, loved all of them for, for different reasons. And by the time we moved, I, I'd become quite attached to the, this old crumbling stadium uh but you, you quickly become i suppose love struck by by a new set of bricks and particularly once we got into the premier league i think that's when the real affinity came between support and and the britannia stadium or the bet365 stadium mm. when when we were filling the place creating a really good atmosphere and that that, that took quite a while to come Probably because we were really crap on the pitch <laughs> for the first few years, um, yeah. but luckily that that did change over time. And yeah, it's just been it's been a great journey to watch the a real roller coaster of emotions here and there, a, a few relegations along the way, and and a couple of promotions as well. So yeah, really really exciting times. Yeah, well, I think I think you said there that. Everyone will say that their football club is unique, and I, and I think it's probably because they are sort of unique to each other. I think a trait of ours is that beyond, I'm sure, a lot of things we'll talk about in the B side and 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 our identity and such. But I think a trait of Stokes is that it's so turbulent, not only from game to game. I can't remember in my time supporting Stoke as ever being really consistent, apart from maybe consistently bad when we got relegated. Um, but even then, we, we, we had the odd good game. But even from like decade to decade, we just seem to fluctuate so heavy. We're not a, we're not an awful side consistently, and, and, and we're not a, we're not going to be a Premier League side forever, like a like an Everton or or something. I don't know. Like it's you really go through the motions with Stoke. You do, um, but I suppose it's all relative. Like you mentioned, Everton. They have their their peaks and troughs mm, as well. Yes. They're, they're having a pretty decent season this year. 
few years ago they were battling relegation. So yeah, yeah it, it is all relative, but I I love the the unknown supporting Stoke. You, you never yeah. really know what each season is going to bring. And sadly, who who saw relegation coming probably three years before mm-hmm. before it happened? Mm-hmm. Not many people. But likewise, who saw promotion to the Premier League three, oh, well, time, very three years before it happened? So that's the joy of sport, the, the unknown. It's not like watching something in the cinema, is it, where you, you know there's going to be a start, middle and end and mm. really the, the bad guy is going to, going to be killed. You just don't know what's going to happen. And yeah. that, that is what draws you to football week in, week out. Yeah. I, I think we've mentioned on the pod before that you turn up to a game sometimes because it's that fear of missing out. And I'm not talking about the fear of missing out in, in, in terms of like a, like a market employee. I'm, I mean that and because any game you go, that you could go to and, and, I'd, I'd say potentially, especially Stoke games, you never know that this might be the game where you win 5-0 or you lose 5-0. You just have no idea going into it. I think with a lot of clubs, they'll either know that they might get trashed or if you're a Man United team, you you might know that or or, or, or even expect to win every single game with Stoke. You, I personally just go in and have no idea. And I think that that's what drew me in and in my first year or so with Stoke it was that unpredictability yeah uh, it becomes almost a force of habit and that's not always a good thing either I remember I was going I went to three seasons solid didn't miss one kick of a ball Mm. and it got to the point where we were playing Chelsea away early on in the season I knew we were going to lose (laughs) I knew it was 50 quid a ticket and I had to almost physically stop myself from going to the ticket office and buying a ticket for that match. Mm. And that was the first game I missed it, like I say, for, for three years. Mm. And yes, we did lose it. And, and me not being there didn't make a difference to the team. It, it almost feels like you being there does have an impact on the final result. And at the end of the day, it kind of doesn't. <laughs> no. But yeah, it is that fear of missing out. I remember a few years ago, my cousin called me and he said, oh, my mate's playing for Northampton against, I think it was MK Dons or someone really low. Um, it was Boxing Day. Was it Boxing Day? It was December anyway. Mm. And said, yeah, yeah, I'll go there. I, I don't really like going to Goodison Park where Stoke were playing. Um, get a really bad view of the pitch. So we went to Northampton, who won 1-0. And Stoke won 4-3 at Goodison Park oh, in probably the one. greatest match oh, of all time. Yeah. And I've never quite forgiven myself for oh. missing that one. And it's not as if you were anywhere interesting either, no offence. but No, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> What's the good yeah. alternative? It's not like you were missing the birth of a child or... No, I know. Oh, God. Know. Yeah, so instant regret while yes. I saw the scoreline come up on my phone that day. Well, I mean, I, I think we've been there and... and we mentioned like n- neither of us have, have been to Valencia away, which I know we spoke about in the podcast with Dan. We seem to be a, a, a very small club of people that didn't go. I know that yours was in a completely different scenario to mine. Like mine was just because I literally couldn't afford to go or, or wasn't able to go due to time. Yours was way different to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I just moved to Australia. Um <laughs> So as you do, yeah, I, I've been lucky enough to to see us get to the FA Cup final, and I've been to a couple of trips into into Europe. 
in the in kind of the first half of the season in the knockout stage uh, the group stages sorry and then this wonderful opportunity came up in australia so i, I took mm. it and i was only meant to be out there for six months kept renewing my season ticket um mm. but i ended up being there for four years oh my god which was yeah quite quite a long stretch of time really but throughout all that time i still had my season ticket so um i was kind of there in spirit somewhat yeah but yeah i did actually contemplate buying a plane ticket and going to Valencia from Western Australia. But when I looked at the flight times and the cost of it, I decided I'd be better off sleeping in mm. Australia. Mm. And and to be fair, based on the game, some people would say you were right to do that. Some people say that the experience will never happen again. But m- maybe if they were over in Australia at the time, then I think they could probably sympathize with you i certainly would i mean i think we said before the show that i think it by the time you faffed around it's probably about 30 hours isn't it so yeah probably probably wouldn't be far off maybe even more ben so yeah yeah you miss out on a lot of the things around the game yeah you you can't have everything in life can you no 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 we cannot we can't have been sat indoors paid 80 percent of our salary and going to the pub they are not things that happen together unfortunately anyway I'll move on because I know that there's quite a lot of stuff that we that we want to talk about. Um, before I move on to a, a couple of more specific things about you, is there anything else you want to talk about about your earlier memories following Stoke? Um, I suppose really just just the experiences of going to the games was was so novel and so special. Like while we were at the at the Vic, I I didn't have a season ticket, so we were probably going to. This was me and my dad. We we'd always go to the matches together. Mm. Um, Dad would sometimes go to the midweek games on his own um, because we lived quite a long way away. So with school and everything, it, it would have been pretty unfair to take kind of a 10-year-old back home at midnight mm. um, and then be in school the next morning. So I'd miss those games, but mm. yeah, we're probably going to 10, 15 games a season, a few away games here and there, but predominantly the home ones. Mm. And then that escalated the moment we got into into the new stadium. We got a season ticket and we've had one ever since sat in sat in various spots mm. but yeah I, I think it it's seeing all these players pull on the red and white stripes some of them dreadful <laughs> some of them brilliant but all of them creating memories in their own way like, yeah. I, I reminded myself of Lee Collins's debut the other day who was a dreadful center half signed by Brian Little he, he was atrocious came from Aston Villa and his debut was away at Millwall, who had two men sent off. So they had nine men, yet still managed to beat us 2-0. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> uh, they, they they were awful times. But then on the flip side of that, going to the likes of Scunthorpe United away on a Tuesday evening in 2007, Liam Lawrence scoring the last gasp winner. They're just so special. And you, you can't... You can't quite capture that in any other way if you were listening to it, if you were reading about it, if you were watching it on a stream. Mm. Not that you could then. No. But you can't replicate being there. No. The cold evening on your face, the the hugging of strangers, and just the sheer elation, jumping up and down like a real weirdo. Like if you if you don't go to football and if you don't get football... What must we look like when we're celebrating a goal? You yeah. just lose yourself, don't you? It's, it's remarkable. <laughs> yeah. Nothing else 
comes close to that. No, no, absolutely not. There's things that I've done for football that I wouldn't do for love nor money. It, 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 insane. I, again, I think I was saying before this recording that this is one of the only things that I would do for free, sitting down and talking to Stoke fans. And, and it's just because it's a love for football and it's a love for Stoke, but it's a, it's a love for the, the community as well. And it, it's just something that football brings. And again, I know I've said this on a pod before, but when people say, oh, I, I don't know why you're so interested in football, it's only a game. And people say, well, it's not just a game. I don't think people even realise or articulate very well what they mean when they say that. Yeah, and I think especially having not been able to go to the games, I think football fans can really understand that it is more than just a game. In fact, the game itself can quite often be immaterial. Yeah, yeah. It's, It's the social elements that go alongside going to the football, the catching up with friends, mm. the meeting of new friends, and the the different sights that, that you see along the way. Yeah, of course we want Stoke to win every time we watch them, but the the fact of the matter is they're not going to win every time that, that you go. But you can ha- still have a really good time every time you go to a Stoke City match. Yeah, precisely. The there's some things that are fixed no matter what the result and that's what that's what gets people going back at the end of the day because I think if if we were losing every week and and for some people to be fair that's all they do experience they see us losing every week and that's why they become disinterested and it's why I'm always keen to push the match day experience to be more than just the 90 minutes we've said that lots on this podcast and hopefully that's something that gets taken on on by the club as we move back in towards a a pandemic free life but time will only tell on that one anyway so i'll i'll move on because as i say i think there's a few things i want to talk to you about in this first half even let alone the second half of this podcast um one of them being you touched on your time in australia and you told me that this was around the time you were coming that you were coming back from australia this this sort of opportunity came up for you Plenty of people on this podcast will know Stoke Loud and Proud. Plenty of people on this podcast will have heard Mark Aspley do his version of this podcast. I know that you're involved with Stoke Loud and Proud as well. How did that come about? Yeah, so before going to Australia, I, I'd done quite a lot of pieces for the the Sentinel covering the reserve team and, and the mm. under-23 team, whatever they were labelled as back then, um, under-18s as well. And I, I wrote a book on our promotion season, so it had a had a kind of hand in in the media world totally self-trained so <laughs> that's probably why I'm rubbish at it but when, when I came <laughs> when I came back through social media I made it known that I was back in England and I started going to the games and the the guys at Stoke Loud and Proud got in touch with me and asked me if I wanted to to do a few pieces for them mm. be that blog posts or just simply uploading a bit of match day experience where when I was going to especially away days mm. like if, if you're one of 1500 fans going to Watford you want to inform the other 30,000 stokies sitting at home kind of what's going on on the journey or or little little snippets of songs in the concourse that kind of thing mm. so I did that and they they'd already got a got a hand with with Stoke City women or Stoke City ladies as they were called then and I remember being invited onto the team coach for 
quite a prestigious match for them. Pro- probably the biggest match in their history, particularly at the time. They they got into the FA Cup and were playing Super League side Everton. Mm. And they got absolutely hammered 7-0, <laughs> uh, which, which was no disgrace, but they were played off the park. And despite that, I instantly fell in love with everything about the, the women's game and, mm. and particularly the Stoke City women who were doing it just for the love of the game and the love of pulling on the badge. They weren't mm. getting paid for it, but yet they were sacrificing their Sunday and also Tuesdays and Thursdays to train. So through Stoke Loud and Proud, I got a got a bit more bit more into it and, and started to try to raise their profile. And again, I said before the show, I, I love that. I love that you've got involved in, in both counts with both Stout Loud and Proud and, and the women's team. And I'm not going to ask you why you want to get involved. It, it's it's quite clear why you wanted to get involved in something like that. You you clearly love Stoke and, and you said there you, you completely fell in love with, with the women's team. I'm going to sort of flip the question though and say with these platforms such as Stout Loud and Proud, and even people engaging with football clubs on social media. And the answer to this may be obvious, but I think it's still a good topic to talk about. Why do you think platforms like Stoke Loud and Proud, like like this even, why do they flourish? Why do they develop? Why do people engage with bits of content like this? We live in a world that's instantaneous and rewind 20 years and you wouldn't have any of this obviously yeah. because the platforms weren't available however the world has changed so dramatically that it, i think it, if clubs like stoke didn't have platforms like this that they, they, they'd fall fall by the wayside people just love to talk and and i suppose social media and, and podcasts and and everything has given everyone a voice whereas mm. before it was only the select few who were allowed a voice mm-hmm. And I think people are are very keen to to voice their opinions, and everyone is entitled to an opinion, which is fantastic. Mm. We might not all agree with no, it, but it, isn't not. it isn't it great to hear twenty different opinions rather than yeah. just one? Let's say that's the the Sentinel lead reporter or BBC Radio Stoke, whoever it may be. It's not really giving much of a balanced view. Mm. It's just one person's view. Yeah, and so. I think it's fantastic that there are all these platforms, the likes of Stoke Loud and Proud, the YYY Files, uh, the Wizards, Bear Pit, all of these. It's great that I think it it came to a point a few years ago where it was almost a war between them. But actually, I think think that's calmed down a bit, which is absolutely fantastic. No, it's good. I like that. And there's a bit of Stoke love, which is fantastic. Everyone's doing their own little unique way, takes on everything. And I think particularly now, people just can't get enough of Stoke City, football, whatever it may be. And I think actually people don't necessarily have the time or the attention span to watch a 90-minute football match. Mm. But they probably do have the attention span to read a five-second social media post. Yeah. Or on their way to work, listen to a podcast because it's a totally different way of um, using up your time, a mm. podcast. And I think, yeah, I, I think all these platforms are flourishing for, for various reasons, really. Yeah, I I mean, I do as well. And you're right, they are so 
diversified, not only in the way that they deliver, and that's important. People like, uh, it's just a shame that the Oatcake aren't doing what they're doing anymore, but Duck Magazine's still thriving, and um, I'm glad they are because having that bit of written content alongside, of course, the local press, but having that bit of fan-delivered written content I think is very important for the people who, who love that kind of stuff. People who who like blogs and things like that, there's there's a space for them. People who like YouTube videos will watch people like Harvey. Um, people who like podcasters, there's plenty of them going about Stoke these days. Uh, plenty of people tweeting team news and opinions on the game, and there's there's so much of it. And I've always said I I think if if there's somebody out there who wants to give something like that a go, there's nothing stopping you. And realistically, having the the skills or knowledge or not having them is not an excuse anymore. It's so easy to go and pick them up. Um, like when I started this, I, <laughs> I, I was no audio engineer. I was no social media expert. I just got my equipment together and, and started. And, and thankfully I've been able to carry on. But I think the point I'm trying to come to is that people have their own approaches to everything, as you said, in terms of their view. And that's very important. It's something that I wanted to maximize with this platform, but other people have taken it upon themselves to do it in their own way. And this is one of the f- very earliest thoughts I think we've had on this podcast. I think it was Tom Thrower who made this point very clear. It might have even been before this, saying that opinions in football are brilliant. They just are. And they, to some extent, make football what it is. Someone who has just witnessed a 5 0 win for Stoke can find something to moan about <laughs> and and someone who has witnessed a 5-0 defeat for Stoke will always find the air of optimism and there's people in between and don't be wrong I always think that a balanced view is good but I always think it's fascinating that people don't always have those balanced views and don't have the same views and that's because sport is so subjective uh, that that's what makes it what it is yeah absolutely absolutely I suppose the the downside of people having opinions is when people can almost jump on bandwagons, which I suppose we're sitting yeah. with like in individual players for, for clubs, be it folks, I suppose, for Stoke seems to be <laughs> the, the target. But I think I think we've always seen players being targeted from the stands. There's always kind of the boo boy. Um, mm. It's just, I suppose, intensified when you're seeing it on your Twitter feed every three seconds. Yeah. Like folks might not do something for a match, but then Fletcher might not do something for a match. So why isn't he being vilified? Yeah. And I think I think when it becomes personal against someone, I think everyone should take a bit of a step back and go, hang on <laughs> a minute. The line. He, he is he's doing his best, okay. Player X might not be the right player, he might not be good enough for for what such and such a club want to achieve, but He's not being rubbish on purpose, so... Mm. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, give, give it a little bit of a break here and there. Oh, yeah. Uh, don't be wrong. I, I will have certainly made humorous attempts, I think, to, to mock Stoke players for poor performances, but I would never go personal, nor would I condone anybody who does so. And it's interesting. I think you sort of touched on it there, where I think platforms can almost once they reach a certain size and certain reputation they can influence people's own opinions to some extent like i know that people like the wizards for example will not be fans of certain players and will be fans of others and that that 
opinion once you hear it every week will be drilled into some people and that'll be the same for whatever the platform they digest the potter's podcast or stoke loud and proud or the local newspaper or even listening to michael o'neill himself you know he'll have his favorites and some people will judge their favorites based off whoever the manager's favorite is um some some people don't have that individualistic view on their opinions and will be easily led by somebody else and not that i think that's bad i think there's a reason why the people who have these platforms are able to maintain them because people people are influenced by them and that's perfectly okay but yeah when it comes to abuse i think that's wrong i think even when it's not just abuse to players it's but it's abuse between themselves as well you see so many people online fight with each other and you touched on it before the, the stoke platforms themselves didn't get on at one point and when when we're just fans giving up our time effort sometimes money just to make content for fans and we're fighting amongst ourselves giving us personal abuse i just think what's it all for at the end of the day stoke have lost a football game and if they get relegated or whatever it'd suck or if we don't make the playoffs it'd suck but at the end of the day as much as it can control our mood it really shouldn't to the fact that it influences other people yeah absolutely right absolutely right and yeah that as much as we love football there are more important things to it of course sorry i went on a massive monologue there and no i liked it i liked it i enjoyed <laughs> I it i do that sometimes i'm going to bring this back to you and say you touched on stoke loud and proud and i want to touch on that before we move on to the women's team what was the best thing you did with stoke loud and proud do you think or, or what do you enjoy most with stoke loud and proud I think getting involved with the with the women's game, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and I know we're going to touch on that, so I'll try and think of something else. Oh, um, no, please. <laughs> but, but yeah, I I think it was just nice to, from a personal perspective, it was nice to get back into the the media routine. Yeah, and I, I just particularly then I loved writing stuff, mm-hmm. be it opinion or just factual. I, I love. I love looking at statistics. I'm a bit like Pete Smith and <laughs> a bit of a saddo, really. And I, I love statistics. But if you if you're just getting statistics out for yourself, it's really really sad. But if you <laughs> if you're getting statistics out for other people and putting it on a on a blog post, it's only a little bit sad. So it's okay. And I think being able to have that platform was was great for me, and it, it gave me confidence moving forward as well. And I think I think all these platforms should be a bit of a la- hopefully a ladder for a lot of people to to progress to wherever they want to be within the media world whether I hope that's so. yeah whether, whether that's with stoke or or nationally or or whatever full-time part-time they're great opportunities and there's never been a better time to get into media and try to make a job of it the downside of it is there's loads of people trying to get into yes. the media world yeah absolutely right and this is where things like having your own niche and and being consistent are really really important um touching back on what you just said i pete if you're listening i'm sure james didn't mean that you were sad i think he was just implying that he was sad talking about stats so don't take any offense from that if you're listening Uh, no i (laughs) definitely meant it pete sorry (laughs) he'll know he'll know he knows but (laughs) um no in all seriousness i think you're right in the sense that things like this are are great not not only just for confidence 
as you said, uh, getting back in love with Stoke, as you said, and back in love with writing things, whether it be creative or factual, as you said. Well, when you when you were away from it for four years, four years is a very long time. Um, yeah. I, I was watching pretty much every game over there, but when you're watching matches at midnight, 1am, it, it's not quite the same as being in the seat at the stadium. No, so no. It, I felt very detached, but very quickly once I was back, not only was I going to the games, but I was actively, I suppose, reporting on them. And mm-hmm. yeah, from it, it almost took me back five years in time and it, it felt like I didn't miss too too much. But yeah. actually I, I did miss a wonderful chunk of time because we were playing some brilliant football in that four-year period I was away. And yeah, it, it, it was great to watch it on TV, but it would have been even better being in the stands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you said it was around the early sort of 2010s, towards the mid-2010s, and yeah, that was sort of the end of Pulis and the start of Hughes, and that was a real transition period, I think. It was a big transition for them. It was a big transition period for you coming back as well, I guess. And it seems like you took to getting back into media what you take to getting back to riding a bike, you know? You got back on, and uh, you said it might have taken a big shift, but you certainly taking about the scuff of the neck and did it. And as you said, it led to what what I think we're going to move on to now is is you having involvement with the women's football team. Now, again, you said you got that opportunity by going to a game with Stoke Loud and Proud, but how, how did getting involved with the women's team, how did that come about? Well, I, like I say, I went to that, that game through Stoke Loud and Proud, who was sponsoring the manager at the time, Andrew Frost. Mm-hmm. And... I went went to a couple more games that season, just as a fan, really. Mm-hmm. And then they invited me to the first game in their new home at Community Drive. Uh, again, through Stoke Loud and Proud. And at the end of the match, I, I interviewed the manager for for Stoke Loud and Proud. Okay. And I thought, oh, this is this fun. <laughs> and then they were playing Bradford away, and said, "Oh, do you want to do you want to catch a lift with us?" I'm like, yeah, of course I do. And then, I, then it occurred to me that, hang on a minute, no one's filming these matches. Why isn't anyone filming these yeah. matches? It, this is a Stoke City football team. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if they're women, men, under nines. It, it should be filmed. So I went to the local Curry's and, and bought myself a video camera out of my own pocket and yeah. took it to Bradford and filmed the game. Wow. And it was the first time for a lot of the players some of whom were knocking on 30 years of age, first time that they'd ever had a football match filmed that they played in. Wow. And that really upset me, actually. Yeah. So, but it, it also made me feel great that I, I could give them this opportunity to not only see their wonder strikes or <laughs> goal line clearances, but also just help them improve in terms of analysis and see where they've gone wrong in the middle of the park or, mm. or their shape or, or whatever it might have been. So I filmed that game and then I ended up filming every game for the rest of the season. It, it, <laughs> it just snowballed very, very quickly. And I put put together highlights packages for, for Stoke Loud and Proud and it, it got to the point where really Stoke City themselves sat up and took notice and they were like, actually, I don't think this should be on Stoke Loud and Proud's platform. This should be on our own platform. Yeah, yeah. So, 
after a bit of dialogue, shook hands with Stoke Loud and Proud, and and then I was working for Stoke City and Stoke City Ladies, mm. uh, doing pretty much doing exactly the same thing, but uh, a head of media. I was doing pretty much everything. There was a there was a photographer there who who had set up the Facebook page, Kilo, who was a who was a huge part of everything, but it just needs to be taken up to the next level. Like match day tweets were being done by the first team manager. That's insane, is it? Can you imagine Michael O'Neill doing tweets for the Stoke well, games? That's exactly how my head was thinking. Yeah. I, I just I couldn't believe how far removed the women's game was from the men's game. Of yeah. course, the numbers coming through the gate are nowhere near mm. what the first team are getting. But it, it felt, yeah, as I said before, it felt really sad that they weren't getting almost any form of recognition. So mm. I wanted to give them recognition. I wanted to give not only Stoke City ladies a name, I wanted to give every individual player a name. And I, I like to think, touch wood, that that most people have heard of Meg Bowie, the captain now. Mm. And and all not maybe not all the players, but a lot of the players. Beth Roberts, who has been a, a trailblazer, she's come through the ranks and she's now represented England. She's She's one of our own and... I think that's absolutely tremendous that that we can shout about that. And I like to think that I, I've played some form of part in getting the, the women's team to such a level that that they are being recognised, not quite on a par with the men's game, and they probably never will, but certainly far more recognition than, than five or six years ago. Absolutely. And and I think that's great. And one of the things I was going to come on to ask you was why you become interested in doing this and why you choose to work for Stoke Ladies or Stoke Women as they are now and, and sort of the best thing about being there. I think you've answered pretty much all of those. They are sort of the standard questions I would have asked you. Um, and I know that the divide between the men's and women's game, I think that's something I certainly want to come on to certainly want to come on to when we talk about your 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 views on Stoke and football in the second half but in terms of your personal involvement I I think it's it's really honourable to be honest I don't want to sound too cliche with that or, or really patronising but I think doing something because not just because it benefited you you know obviously like it must have been great fun for you doing all that stuff but I think a lot of people don't always do things because they they see a benefit for other people. I'd like to think they do sometimes, but that's not always the case. But for you, you clearly saw a clear benefit for someone else, saw the opportunity and wanted to take it. Yeah, definitely. It, it really felt like I was making a difference. And with the greatest respect, if I was working for Stoke City or, or any other professional club, within their media department, I'd just be a number. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the women's team, I was not only making a difference for Stoke City, I was making a difference for the women's sport. And every time I turned up for for a match day and opened the gates, mm-hmm. I felt like I was... Op- it sounds really pathetic, this. <laughs> but I felt like I was o- opening the gates for, for not just our team, not just the opposition... But every female who wanted to kick a football, it, it, it really felt so special. Yeah. And it, it's 
it's really disappointing that the last two years have have ended up um, well as nothing really because they're on such a brilliant upward curve and I suppose the women's game in general is but mm. yeah it, it's it's such a shame um, I'm I'm no longer involved with them directly but I think once you do become part of any football club I suppose but particularly it feels with Stoke City women I think once you become involved be it for a week or or a number of years it's in your blood forever mm. um and it well it's certainly in my blood forever yeah and I, and I think we were talking about um social media platforms and and why they exist and why they're popular and I think it's because a lot of the creators of those platforms feel like they're giving back to the Stoke community I think in that sense and certainly what you were doing was something is charitable the right word I don't mean that in a sense of you know doing something for nothing I mean as in doing something selfless and like you were you were helping people however you could how however little or as much you were able to do and how how many people would take that opportunity up I I don't know but there must have been times or specific events that that must have made you feel like I'm really glad I'm doing this oh yeah I was so so grateful for the opportunities I mean we we won numerous games we lost numerous games but I th- mm. I don't think anything will you, you can't quite capture if you haven't been there the feeling of a last minute winner <laughs> and the feeling on the bus home like you, you've gone to Sunderland away best team in the in the country you've stopped over for the night and had a good team bonding session which is probably uh, a quiz on the on the Saturday evening <laughs> Maybe maybe had a, a little takeaway or something, just just a little bit naughty, yeah. and then gone gone to the match on the on the Sunday afternoon, taking the lead, then lost the lead, taking the lead again, lost the lead, and then yeah, a ninety fourth minute winner, and that three and a half hour journey just feels like you're on cloud nine. It, mm-hmm. It's an indescribable feeling, and I suppose perhaps more so the fact that Stoke City are are in my blood mm. but everyone felt part of that team whether it's the goalkeeper coach whether it's the goalkeeper themselves the center forward or me in media everyone was one and everyone is one mm. at stoke city women and i think that's that's so special and i suppose the higher up you go the the pyramids um in the men's game or the women's game that community or or family feel becomes a little bit more detached for for obvious reasons in terms of there are more staff and and you can't be quite so tightly knit Mm. but yeah it yeah so special and like i say just so grateful to to be part of so many memories and be able to capture them forever like these goals and moments are on film forever Mm -hmm. and you got young girls who will do whatever they do in their in their lives and their careers, but they'll always be able to see that thirty-five yard screamer they scored at Leicester City, won't they? Mm-hmm. Which is great. Yeah, and it's great, and and they're able to see that partially because of your efforts as well and your foresight. And I don't know whether the role would have even occurred had it not been for what you did with Stoke Adam Proud. You know, you said it was there 
first instance of, of sponsoring, I think you said the women's manager at the time, and, that, and that's how yeah. you got the ball rolling. But without that sort of happening, maybe they wouldn't have had the platform, if you know what I mean, without your intervention, say. Yeah, there's been, been a good, I suppose, traction of momentum over the last six, seven years, not mm. just for Stoke City, but the the women's game in general. Yeah. Like, you, you rewind not too long ago and they, they were training on on park fields, school fields, wherever they could kick a ball, really. Um, but now they train at Clayton Wood, which yeah. is huge. That That's massive. A, a real step in the in the right direction. Mm. They they have their own stadium, well, at least their own stadium, which in the women's game is very rare, very rare. Yeah. Normally it's a, it's a shared non-league ground, but they, they play at Community Drive exclusively, which is fantastic. Mm. And yes, it, Stoke Loud and Proud's intervention uh, before I got involved with them was was huge. And, and they were putting the the foundations there for for me to probably take it a little bit further, but they they were able to get the women's team to to Nando's, for instance, for a for a grand unveiling, which w- was practically unheard of. Mm-hmm. And and all of a sudden, the these women's players who were playing in two year old Stoke City kits were were on the front of the Sentinel, this kind of thing. And yeah. and now they're not playing two year old kits; they're playing in the very very current kit, which yeah, is yeah, just yeah. great. It's so it's so good that. The levels aren't quite so far apart now. Yeah, I, I, and again, that's something that I think we're going to come on to, the fact that I think um, you said it, it's sort of good that they've got their own stadium and they're playing in the current kits and, and all this, but it's also that's how it should be, in my view. And and again, talk on views in women's football is something I, I think we're going to have our own separate topic about. Just, just very quickly. I think it's great again that that Stoke Loud and Proud and fans media, Stoke City fans at the end of the day, are able to. Again, this is why they do this. They give back to their football club, and and look how that's turned out. It's a it's a snowball effect, maybe, but starting something like that, and and fans really do have a massive stake in what goes on at a football club if they take the opportunity, and that's a great example of it. One thing I want to touch on before I move on to new topics. Was there anything that you particularly learned or what was the biggest thing you learned from your time with Stoke City Women and Stoke Loud and Proud for that matter? Um, well, I suppose editing videos was the biggest thing I learned. Yeah. I, everything was just self-taught. I, like I say, I took it upon myself to buy a video camera. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd ever filmed anything apart from with a phone. Um, and then putting these highlights packages together. And then the first few, I was just putting the highlights together, but there was no narration or anything. And then I thought, let's bring it to life. So <laughs> I suppose what I learned is I'm a bit of a perfectionist yeah. and I don't want to do things half assed mm-hmm. And I invested so much love and time into it, which I do not regret one bit because yeah. I... I know even if it meant something to one person, it was totally worth it. And you'll be able to understand that yourself. But I would spend my entirety of Sunday dedicated to the women's team, Mm -hmm. maybe even the entirety of Monday as well. Not only going to the match, but then putting the highlights packages together. 
sometimes the highlights packages would take about five hours. Yeah. But it didn't matter. What have I learnt from that? I've probably got too much time on my hands, Ben. <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, possibly. But then you said there, sort of, learning that you're a perfectionist, but also having the confidence to take that on board and going like, yes, I can do this. Like, yes, we can do narration on these videos. Yes, we can make these videos as good as they can be. And Yeah, and I think, I think as well... I learned that Stoke City are, are very open to to promoting the women's game. Mm. I, I kind of, once I'd made the transition from Stoke Loud and Proud to the women's team, there was a sense of trepidation about, well, what will I actually be allowed to do here? But yeah. actually, the floor was all mine, which mm-hmm. was brilliant. It was just the fact that they'd never had the resources to be able to do it. So, yeah, I, it was a case of, well, crack on, James. We know you're not going to slag off the women's team or Stoke City in general. So just do whatever you want. Yeah. Here's, a pe- here's a page in the programme for you. Write us a piece each week and and we will put it in there. Yeah. Write as many articles for the, the website for us, which was absolutely fantastic. And unfortunately, those resources weren't there before me, mm-hmm. but they are there moving forwards, which is great. And I, I think coverage will only improve. Yeah, and well, I'm I'm glad that Stoke had the or or had the trust in you to be able to to go and do that because I feel like I mean I'm speaking very selfishly now as an example, but I I I personally want to have control of everything that I do with this platform, and I'd be hesitant or or certainly mindful of of anybody helping me out, and I can understand why a football club who who whose reputation can change very quickly might be hesitant to to let a you know a fan who you said you you were no professional when you started out get involved but i'm glad that they that they did trust you to be able to do that and and clearly it's reaped its rewards and i hope it's something that they that they do and and will apply in in other areas as well yeah i agree and it it certainly gave me the confidence to to branch out from just doing the, those highlights um yeah, it was a really, really enjoyable few years. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine. Okay, I'm going to move on because, again, there's a couple more things I want to talk about. One of those being, this is not the first time we spoke. <laughs> people people may know, for example, um, that you appeared on the 24-hour live, live stream over Christmas that raised a bit of money, and I'm very grateful for you turning up to that very foggy Nottingham Forest <laughs> live stream with me and watching that game for the second half. Yeah, it was very difficult and particularly enjoyable when my stream decided to <laughs> conk out four minutes from time. You just can't plan things like that, can you? <laughs> Unbelievable. It's just, oh, anything that could go wrong in that live stream, it did, but oh man. Anyway, that wasn't the first time that we spoke. I think we've we we'd spoke on social media beforehand and interacted quite quite a few times, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the first time I properly engaged with you was in Hamburg at St. Pauli, right? It was, yeah. Um yeah, two Stokies in, in Germany. Yeah, How what, what a trip I know what what a trip that was. I, I remember we We'd gone to the the bar, haven't we? And they because they'd announced this partnership, they'd put on free beers for for everyone. And yeah, blimey, we made the most of that. Yeah, 
<laughs> couldn't see the match. <laughs> but no, it was a, uh, it was, it was great. And even Peter Coates was in there, wasn't he? Yeah, Peter Tony as well. I remember. Yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. yeah, what what a trip that was. Uh, I love watching Stoke abroad. I mean, obviously, it's not uh, a particularly regular occurrence, no. but yeah, we. I think we'd been to Hamburg the year before, and then played St. Pauli the season after. Mm. And what a brilliant city. Yeah. How bizarre to hear Pottery's accents alongside German voices. <laughs> it, it's just so bizarre, isn't it? But just so brilliant too. And, yeah. and nothing would ever take people like next door neighbours to Hamburg at the same time, apart from football. Yeah. Well, precisely right. And I've, I've spoke quite slowly about, um, that trip to Hamburg on my podcast with Zach um, a few episodes ago. That that was months ago now, actually, when I think about it. Anyway, I, I digress. But yes, that, that trip was just excellent. And it's one of my favourite Stoke memories, I think. The game itself, we lost. I'm sure we did. And uh, Yeah, 4-2, I think. Yeah. Was that the season we went down? I can't remember. I don't know how much left at that point. I no, I think you might be onto something there. It might be the year we went down. I'm pretty sure Hosselu scored for us. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yes, yes, he did. I think he scored two. I think it was four yeah, two the game, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I think you're right. Mm. Oh, good old preseason friendlies. <laughs> yeah, of course Hosselu scores two in a preseason friendly, and then never scores for us again. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but just just what a what a amazing trip and we spoke about Valencia before it makes me wish I'd have gone to that and it makes me wish that in the future I am able to go and see more Stoke games abroad because you're right just the just a different football and culture some power has got to be a completely unique we were talking about unique football clubs as well some power is a very very unique football club and it was great to see that the city of Hamburg itself was great I mean it reminds me of Liverpool like the German version of Liverpool and I love Liverpool I, I love the city not only was there free beer and I got to spoke to you over there and, and Peter Coates, Tony Scholes were over there as well. And I was able to go with my mates and watch Stoke and it, it was, it, it was just great all around, but you're right. Games abroad. There's just something about it. European journey was obviously the, the highlight of that, but even people went to go and see Stoke versus Monaco and we beat Monaco, I think. And, Lee Grant made a save from Mbappe and you think in, in what other world would that ever happen and once things go back to normal I really wish that we make a good fist of some international friendlies yeah I agree uh, just on the subject of that San Paoli match I, I'd gone on my own and I was, mm. was on the flight out and lo and behold Bunny was sat behind me from Duck Magazine with no. his brother so I ended up spending the next two days bar hopping with those two, which was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> That's absolutely great. fantastic. And I remember as well, I, while I was living in Australia, Stoke uh, Stoke had been invited to the Asia Trophy, mm. which uh, they, they always used to have every summer. And there's three three Premier League teams go out there. Yeah, and Stoke were playing Singapore. Mm. Uh, like in what world would Stoke be playing Singapore? No, no. And it, and in this huge stadium full of about sixty thousand locals, yeah, I'm about ten seats away from Sue Bryan, who writes for the Sentinel and sits right next to me 
in the Boothen end. It was just utterly, <laughs> utterly bonkers. It's amazing how you can almost transport your world from home to a different international stage. Like, I'm, I'm sure I, I remember that Asia Trophy, and there were there were locals there with Stoke shirts and Peter Crouch on the back. I remember that, and it's, it, it, like I say, I, I really hope there's more going forward. I'm sure opportunities for something more commercial like that are going to be limited with us being in the championship but having said that it opens the opportunity maybe for some more niche friendlies uh maybe actually you never know it some of the bigger sides might be more keen to play us as as more of a warm-up game because we're not as established maybe and yeah i i really hope we get some fun international friendlies over the years yeah fingers crossed yeah i've been lucky to go to a few and it's almost unrivaled the, yeah. the experience that you have. And particularly going back to what we were saying before about how the football isn't always the be all and end all. That's especially the case in these friendlies, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we talk about community as well. I'm going to move on again because one of the other events I'm going to say that, that I know you from and, and some other people might know you from as well was, of course, you help the the renovation i'm gonna say of the sea lion pub in in my local area of mere hay longton and i i just couldn't believe the coincidence in that in that the pub that was a five minute walk from where i grew up at home and there was a stoke fan such as yourself running it and renovating it and and breathing new life into it and i went a few times and that was great and it, it it's just this mad amazing coincidence how we got connected again through that and i i just wanted to touch on it really because you said off air that you were pleased that you could bring a sense of community back to the pub again yeah it, it felt really special um my my cousin bought it mike newton and he needed someone to manage it. I've got no experience of managing a pub. and That's never stopped you. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, may as well <laughs> dip your feet in uh, rather than your toes. So, yeah, gave it a go. And within three weeks, we had to shut because of COVID. <sighs> it's just insane. But just in that three weeks, I could see what that pub meant to, meant to the local community. Mm. I've described it as almost like a village hall where you can have a pint. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter who you were, whether you drank in there every single night or or yourself who went in there for the first time. You instantly became almost part of the furniture and and I, I was very keen to make everyone feel welcome. Every customer is just as important as the other. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we we go out to to eat, to drink, as an experience, we, we know we can eat and drink at home for far, far cheaper, but we go out for the social element and other elements too. So I was very mindful. I, I kind of made a, a bit of a pact with myself that I, I wouldn't let anyone come into that pub and leave before I've spent at least 30 seconds talking to them. And I, I think I stuck to my word, <laughs> which I suppose it... It doesn't take much from me and it doesn't take much from them, but it makes makes everyone feel feel wanted and important and 
and that that pub is and and was important to everyone. I, I've I've subsequently decided to to step down from my role just merely because it's such a lifestyle commitment. Mm, so I, mm. I didn't did enjoy it. I I enjoyed bringing smiles to people's faces and being able to reunite people after after the initial lockdown. Yeah, that I th- I think that was so special and Huge. you really got a sense of belonging and, and importance because without that pub, a lot of people didn't have much to be perfectly honest, no. and and also didn't have the space where to where that whereby they could catch up with their their one friend or or their twenty friends, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Uh, obviously, rules ended up curtailing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, like I say, I've taken a step away, but. Mike still still owns it, and a lovely little bit of a segue is that in charge now is Kerry Brown, who who plays for Stoke City Women. So <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's quite a nice transition. I'll still be knocking around in the background somewhere. Yeah. Um. But Kerry's Kerry's going to be great. She she worked for me there, and and I know that that wonderful atmosphere that was there for the the few months that I was there is only going to get better. So uh, I'm really looking forward to going back on the other side of the bar as well as yeah. behind the bar a, a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it, it's a real local pub in, in the heart of, of Longton. It's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a cracking boozer. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. Again, I was talking about this off air with you and I was saying that, and you touched on it as well, it, it was the first time after lockdown and possibly the only place after lockdown where I was able to go and see my friends and that was massive for me actually and some of my friends were hesitant to go out some people are getting used to lockdown life of you know oh I don't want to go to the pub I'd I'd rather sit and play games over zoom or whatever like no 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 get out of that routine get out of that mentality and get back into somewhere communal like a pub and once you were there it, it it reminded you of how important those sorts of places are and I'm glad that there's a place like that in Longton because if I'm honest that there's a handful but I don't think there's many places in the town like it and I'll certainly be going back there when I get the opportunity but as well I I wish and I know there are definitely some but I wish that there was some more that Stoke fans feel like they could go to prefer a game as well. That's sort of the atmosphere that I want for Stoke fans before they go to a game. There's so many people who say that. And again, I know there's plenty of local pubs within, you know, whether it be in Stoke or uh, near Heron Cross or that sort of area. I know that there's plenty of places that people can go to uh, before a game, but there's so many people crying out for a communal place before the game. And it's that sort of we welcome anybody feel that I wish that was more around the football club for a game. Again, this is something that we've been on about the podcast before, but again, just something that I've, that I'm that I'm really glad that you did. Um, and just amazing how our lives crossed past. Yeah, <laughs> again, yeah. It, that moment. yeah. From from Hamburg to to Longton, it's from Hamburg quite, to quite Longton. a difference. Yeah, but uh, some difference. Yeah, I i think i suppose the dream and and i believe it's still the dream is to really make it a, a match day hub mm. so when stoker at home you come in for your your early oat cakes and 
and you pretty much stay in the pub yeah. um, until kickoff. You you jump on a bus together, you come back on the bus together, and you just celebrate everything about Stoke City and, and Stoke on Trent and and Longton and and a lot of though the guys who drink in there have been to been to school together, so that they've been together practically forever. So there's a lovely family warm atmosphere in there mm. and yeah don't get me wrong i'm sure on a match day it gets pretty rowdy <laughs> um but in but in a lovely way and um, yeah i think whoever you are whether you're a stoke fan or not a stoke fan you want to feel safe when you go out i mean we've seen that in the in the last few weeks that unfortunately not everyone is safe and um, yeah that 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 was key for me that everyone felt comfortable there no matter what their background and yeah, I, I think I think to have that match day experience, like it, what what better opportunity is there going to be than right now to make post lockdown hubs? Mm. Like th- this is the time. This is the time, and I really do think the sea lion can can thrive even more as a as a Stoke City hub we we've had ex-stoke players we've had current stoke players in not drinking may i add um, <laughs> don't worry my colonial um, <laughs> he's not listening <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it's it's lovely to have that i suppose relationship with with stoke where not necessarily directly but it's great to have red and white blood within there but there's also veil fans in there and it's all very very well natured and at the end of the day, that's how it should be. A bit yeah. of banter is great. Anything beyond, sorry, but we don't want your type in, in this pub. Yeah. No, quite Simple right. Simple as that. And, and I think everyone respected that and nobody wanted to go beyond those boundaries, which is is brilliant and how it should be. Yeah. I I really wish the best for the place when pubs are really open and the match day experience is back and you said you want it to be a match day hub. I I hope it can be that. Like I've said before, me and my dad, we go to the game and we come back and it is about the 90 minutes for us these days, genuinely. So it's something that I, on a personal level, would be interested in taking part in. So yeah, I, I wish you all the best and I hope it develops as I'm sure it will do once restrictions and the such allow it to. Okay, something... I'm going to ask to wrap this half up, I think, is going to be pretty obvious. But given all that you talked about, I think there there's a lot to consider. I want you to name the top, and if not, maybe a top three or so experiences that you've had with Stoke City. Okay. Well. <laughs> um, so there are... They're a little bit general, if I'm being honest. That's fine. Well, whatever they are. Well, the first one, they're really boring as well. I do apologise. No, no, no. You like If anything, it reinforces a point. <laughs> Not necessarily boring. They're just predictable. Uh-huh. So number one is the promotion season of 2007-2008. I mean, never in my wildest dreams did I think I would see Stoke City in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Never did I think... I'd be there sat next to my dad watching Stoke in the Premier League Mm -hmm. and both those boxes were ticked in 2008. And 
there were moments in that season where we weren't actually particularly good. Mm-hmm. Um, but the season before, Pulis had, had run us pretty close. We got to the the last day of the season and we needed a lot of results to go our way. But we were still in with a sniff of getting into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, failed. But really pushed on. He'd made some brilliant signings, um, good experience, and a young man called Ryan Shawcross who who instantly put himself on the footballing map at Cardiff and hmm. he and we never really looked back. It was it was a hell of a ride. I, I went to I was lucky enough to go to every minute that season and some real highs, the the Scunthorpe game that I mentioned before and I remember they, they put on a deal where it was something like two matches for a tenner, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. But we, we played Southampton and Scunthorpe in the same week. But it, I think it was Southampton on the Tuesday and Scunthorpe on the Friday or something. So they're both night matches. And there's something really special about a, a match under the lights, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Like It's such a totally different atmosphere. But because of this deal, it was practically a full house and... At that point, the Britannia Stadium had barely ever been packed out aside from a couple of FA Cup matches. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a novel experience. And we ended, ended up winning both matches 3-2. I think we were 3-0 up in one, but 2-0 down in another. So <laughs> very topsy-turvy, but similar, out, same outcomes. And that that was kind of the catalyst of, hang on a minute, we might be onto something here. <laughs> But then there was the flip side where we lost 3-0 at QPR on a Sunday and 2-0 at Preston on the Tuesday. Mm. Then that was late on in the season. And you think, classic Stoke, we're, we're going to end up in the playoffs and, and get knocked out. But no, we did it. And it, it was phenomenal. I remember being on the front row at Layer Road. It was the last game at Colchester's ground in the penultimate game. Mm. And... We won 1-0, scored on the stroke of half-time. The sun was beating down and James O'Hara from the BBC was sat right in front of us, kind of doing pitch-side reporting for the radio. But he was... This was really before mobile phones and certainly social media had really taken off, so it wasn't a case of everyone having the score lines instantaneously. It was very much someone might have a a radio in the back and then you've got some idiot making up score lines on the other side of you. So you didn't know what was going on, but <laughs> I trusted James. He, he would tell us what was going on and <laughs> we needed Hull to at least drop points. I think we needed them only to draw mm. and full time came, Stoke had won and the last we heard Hull were drawing. So there's celebrations absolutely everywhere and then bang, news hitters that, that they'd scored against Palace. And even though we were in such a commanding position to get promotion, I think everyone felt so deflated that night that we couldn't see the bigger picture and it just felt like we'd shot ourselves in the foot, even though it was totally out of our control what had happened at the KC Stadium. That, yeah, it, it felt like that opportunity had been taken away and was never going to come back. But we uh, we drew with Leicester and the rest is history. Mm. Yeah. I, this, I'm, I'm almost guilty, but certainly upset that I missed out on our promotion. I, I guess I am a typical 
I'm not even an 08 or I'm an 09 really. First game was in 2009. So, but I'm I'm truly gutted that I missed out on that feeling because I've seen the videos. I've I've seen people talk about it. I've seen so much. I've heard people talk about it on this podcast, and it's just something I hope I see again, to be honest, and I'm sure we will at some point get promoted again, but whether it's under those circumstances where it was so, uh, we didn't see it coming, I think you mentioned that before, we just didn't see that promotion coming, and yet it did, and it was just the best thing to have happened to the football club and the city even at the time, it was just great. Yeah, well, on, on the flip side of what you're saying, my first season Stoke were champions but Hmm. because I was so young I couldn't really get a full grasp of what was going on so I I didn't really understand the importance of us going up and the relevance of us going up so in many ways of course it was great to to see a a small chunk of of what was quite a historic season Mm -hmm. but I couldn't really soak it all in at the time and and a lot of my memories are, are really going off season review videos and <laughs> and word of mouth. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm I'm sure we will see the good times return. I'm and sure. I'm sure. It's not atrocious right now. Um, no, no. So we, we, I, I think own, even I've seen worse. <laughs> I've not been a fan for that long. <laughs> <laughs> and you said that that was the third in the top three. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I, Oh, are we doing it in order? Oh, I don't have, wow. a, I don't oh, have an I don't order. Know. These are I just these are just three memories, Ben. Oh, okay, okay. So that sorry, that was one of three. Then okay, yeah, right. yeah, better, better. Yes, um, because that leads us on to a wonderful FA Cup run in 2011. <gasps> this one I can't I don't know if you you heard about this, but we got to the final and we beat Bolton in a in a semi final. You know what? No one seems to mention this. Well, well, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> So uh, it all started against Cardiff, a very low-key match, FA Cup third round at home. Car- Cardiff, I think, were top of the, the championship at the time. Uh, they were certainly doing well, mm-hmm. um, but I think both teams made quite a lot of changes and we took them to a replay, which wasn't particularly ideal. Anyway, t- we travelled down to South Wales and it was nil-nil and... Arguably the worst game of all time. I, I yes. mean, there's a lot of contenders, but it, it was dreadful. <laughs> it went into extra time, and within a minute, John Walters scored in extra time. And yeah. rather than celebrate, pretty much every Stokey was just really peed off. Why didn't you do that? Waited until extra ago? time. Yeah, <laughs> we could have been on the road by now, Johnny. Yeah. Um, but we, we won 2 0. I, I remember it, he took his shirt off. And it's quite an iconic photo of him all strapped up. I was just going to say like the it, same. I remember the photo, yeah, across yeah, his chest. He, like, if anything sums up Johnny Walters, it's that. What what an absolute Trojan he, he was and, and is. Like, yeah. A, such an underrated footballer for us, yeah. I think. Um, maybe appreciated, I suppose, after the event, once he left. Yeah. Much like a lot of other players. Anyway, we... We went on to beat Wolves. Sorensen saved a penalty and I think Hooth scored. We beat yeah. Brighton, who were top of League One at the time, but they they were they were coming to us with 
real belief that they could knock us out and reach the quarterfinals. Yeah, we, yeah, I remember this. We brushed them aside, and I think it was 3-0 at half time. John Carew scored. I was just going to say John Carew. Can you imagine yeah. that? That's not yeah. a name that comes up in Stoke City circles very often, but yeah, he put us through, didn't he? Well, yeah, he scored, Shawcross. Shawcross. And Walter scored a brilliant, one of my favourite goals, actually. Wilson raced down the wing, and and it Walters' his header from from the near post flicked to the far post. It was, it was absolutely beautiful. Oh yes, yeah. And then that took us to to West Ham in the quarterfinal. Oh. Everyone knows what happened. Um, so this is just really boring, but really nice to reminisce. Yeah. And the the referee was against us, but lo and behold, Higginbottom strikes a shot too hard for Robbie Green, and we made it into the semi-finals and I don't know what was more important a trip to Wembley or a trip to the semi-finals both of them were just seismic weren't they for, mm. for Stoke City little old Stoke City are, are going to the FA Cup semi-final like for me the FA Cup is the absolute pinnacle I remember as a kid just dedicating my entire FA Cup final day to to watching all the build-up. Mm-hmm. I remember my first ever drink was watching it, <laughs> uh, watching the FA Cup final. I had a can of Tetley's. Dad gave me a can of Tetley's and a red, pack of ready salted crisps, oh. and I absolutely hated it. Yeah, I was going to say you spoiled it, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't tell him that. Um, but I, I think the biggest celebration of that day wasn't actually the match itself. It was in the concourse when we were watching the the semi-final draw on the TV and we got Bolton and mm. all of a sudden you think bloody hell we can beat Bolton yeah yeah, we, yeah. we might actually reach the FA Cup final here the, I know. this is unbelievable and beat Bolton we did only by the, a little bit we scraped to win yeah uh, <sighs> I, I remember at half time classic Stoke fans we we just need another goal for insurance. Yeah. Like we, we, you could never relax until the fifth one. Well, probably the fourth one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, you couldn't properly enjoy it until the final 15, 20 minutes. But what a day. The, I remember going to the Green Man pub before the match and oh, just a sea of red and white. Oh. And I, I remember how we had packed out the our end but Bolton really hadn't. And no. I, I wouldn't say Bolton had been blessed with loads of great memories and, and moments o- over the <laughs> years, but this meant so much to us. And what a triumph, what a performance from, from 1 to 11 or 1 to 44 or whatever the squad numbers were. It, mm. Like, unbelievable performance. And then, then came the final and... We didn't get the green man for that pub, uh, for the pub that day. And it was written in the stars that we wouldn't win after not getting that pub. But what, what a, what an achievement. What a, what a run. And I remember it, it was only a couple of days before the final that Man City had secured their, their spot in the Champions League. Mm. And that meant we were guaranteed Europe, yes. whether we, we won or lost. And ironically, it was Peter Crouch who scored an own goal for Spurs yeah, uh, that put Man City through. And he ended up being a key member of our European trip the following year. Mm. Um, mm. Quite quite bizarre. But yeah, the, the FA Cup run and the European journey that, that followed was just out of 
the wildest of dreams. Just being in the Premier League was phenomenal, but to reach this point, but I, I must admit that full time in the final, I think it's the only time I've shed a tear at a football match Me because it, there was it was a tear of absolute pride, but it was also a tear of I'm not ever sure that we will have this opportunity again. Yeah. And whilst we weren't particularly great on the day, Man City weren't amazing. They weren't at their best since late and team best. We'd we'd beaten them on a few occasions in the in the years around that that final. And I did believe we we had a real opportunity. And people talk about Kenwin's chance. It was the only chance we had of the day, yeah, really. Yeah. So, of course, it gets highlighted. We did deserve to lose on the day. But, yeah, it, what a what a journey. What mm-hmm. an absolute journey. Uh, and, and it's one of the, the, the reasons why I'm the Stoke fan I am today, to be honest. And that's not in a glory-hunting way. It's just it sucked me in the entire FA Cup run. And the the Hooth goal against West Ham is... is actually one of my favorite stoke city goals it's just classic stoke the epitome of a stoke city goal at that time yeah. was that hooth header from his lap throw um the final was great i completely relate to the fact that oh we're not safe until four goes in and then after john walters runs from the halfway line which is possibly one of the best goals the new wembley's still ever seen is just incredible again we talked about how you never know what to expect from a Stoke side who knew that we'd win an FA Cup semi-final at Wembley 5-0 not us um, and then the City game it's just you touched on it there about City just securing Champions League at that point and I wonder whether psychologically and and, and perhaps logistically as well it, it would have played in our hands had City not secured the Champions League at that point whether you know, it's it spurred us on a little bit to maybe push for that that extra half yard just to just to get into Europe. Not only winning the cup, but have done a lot for the players' careers. Um, of course, we got Europe anyway. But as well, would Man City not have played their best team in the cup if they needed to qualify for the Champions League by playing another game? Because they played us straight after, didn't they, in the league and beat us three 0 I wonder whether they would have played a different team in the cup and not won that that way I don't know and and of course the momentum of them losing the last game and Wembley meaning I just I it it was all written in the stars including the Man City game as you said it just we were destined not to win the cup but the fact that Europe was on the cards either way was just great and I'm so glad that it, it happened the way it did, to be honest, because it taught me a lot. It taught me that, you know, following football can be really great, but actually there can be hurt watching Stoke City. And, and that's the only time I've ever truly been upset watching Stoke, even through relegation. That was just impending doom. Just losing that final taught me to go, you know what, there's going to be disappointment following Stoke. Strap in if this is what you're going to book yourself in for for the next 20, 30, 40 years. <laughs> Yeah, it's not bad. Your your first disappointment being an FA Cup final. Exactly, it? it's a decent <laughs> setup. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. I, I remember as well that the sense of jealousy when Wigan beat Man City a couple of years after that that almost hurt me as much as our final. Yeah, because 
that could have been us. It really could have been us. And mm-hmm. like I said before, will we ever get another opportunity? I mean, <laughs> that's our only FA Cup final in our entire history. So going by that logic, no, we won't get another chance, particularly in our lifetime. Or we wait another 150 years, in which case I certainly won't be here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully six <Stuxet> years. <laughs> well, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. And then and so you've that got brings the me third to, of three. to my final um, best. It's a really odd one, this. Go on, um, but I like odd. I can guarantee no one else will have this one. I'm all ears. I'm strapped in. Okay, strap yourself in. Because in 2014, I was lucky enough to go to Brazil for the World Cup. Oh, here we go. Which was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And you go into a lottery for tickets and... I just applied for anything and everything. Mm-hmm. But at the time you apply, you don't know which teams you're going to see. It's just like right. team team four from Group F, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I ended up with tickets for what on paper sounds atrocious, Bosnia v. Nigeria. Ooh. However, Bosnia's goalkeeper was Asmir Begovic. Yeah. And... Nigeria's Peter Odomwingi had just come out of retirement. <laughs> and so I was lucky enough to be in the stands and, and watch two Stoke City players against each other in the World Cup. And transporting myself to my first experiences of seeing us in the third tier, to then catapulting myself to 2014 and seeing two of my club's players on the absolute biggest stage mm. against each other was just surreal and magnificent and it was made even better that by the fact that Odom Wingy scored the only goal of the game mm. to become the first ever Stoke City player to score in the World Cup and mm. potentially I'm the only Stoke fan to say I was there wow this is true potentially um, if there's any others Please let us know. <laughs> I, I'd be, yeah, I'd love Actually, to. would you rather not know? Because then mm, you, good point. you claim the title or would you rather have someone to relate to? Uh, yeah, yeah, don't, don't write in. Don't, don't, write don't, in. don't no. tell us. Don't tell no. us. People won't anyway. People yeah. keep it themselves. But <laughs> I'll just pretend. Yeah. But um, kind of coincided with that high was also on that trip. I was in Salvador the day before... Um, Germany v Portugal Mm. big game and I was lucky enough to go to that but bigger than that I was walking through the centre and I heard this voice behind me and you know when you you see someone out of character and context maybe a teacher in the local cohort yeah yeah yeah, okay I know that face uh, but I can't quite place him and it takes maybe five seconds for your brain to compute it (laughs) And it took me five seconds to compute this voice. And then I was like, that's Tony Pulis. No way. So I turned around and lo and behold, it was Tony Pulis in the middle of Salvador in Brazil. Wow. So obviously I had to speak to him. So I go up to him, say hello, um, told him that I met him before. He said, oh yeah, I remember. Of course he didn't remember, <laughs> but that didn't matter. And he was there with five live and he, he was there with a couple of colleagues yeah and we're chatting away for five ten minutes and then he goes tell you what let's interview you for the for the radio no and way. so i'm i've stood there god's honest truth stood there in 
this square in Salvador being interviewed not by five live presenters, but by Tony Pulis for live radio, which is just uh, unbelievable. And it, yeah, I, th- I think that is my absolute highlight of, in many ways, it's nothing to do with Stoke City, but it's everything to do with Stoke City. And right place, right time, just phenomenal. And uh, I'll take that moment with me to the grave. I, I loved it. I can honestly say that that will never happen ever again. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. That they've just not only been interviewed by Tony Pulis, which I can imagine, did he give you an easy ride? I imagine under five live, he might give you an easy ride than if he would have done normally. Yeah, it was pretty chilled out, to be oh, fair. fair. There, were, there were lots of uh, laughs and jokes, you know, <laughs> to laugh and slap you. But yeah, it, yeah, just... Just lovely, really, really nice, and and I have to say, all my experiences of Tony Pulis were were t- totally positive. Yeah, such a such a lovely guy, and weirdly enough, actually, I I sat next to him for my last game before going to Australia, and it was it was a reserve team match, and he was there obviously watching mm. um, fringe players, and. He ended up spending a lot of time talking to me, just just in general terms. And I don't think people who are on that supposed pedestal realise what giving a bit of time means to to supporters and mm-hmm. and people who, for for want of a better word, worship them. Yeah, yeah. I just what an experience. I'm, I'm so glad you come and told that. That's just. I'm very jealous, and I think a lot of people listening would be as well. Interesting that you said that Tony Pulis was a lovely bloke. Um, I'm, I'm sure that those thoughts and opinions have been echoed by hundreds, if not more, Stoke fans. Dan might have something to say about making him move his bag in that <laughs> Stoke City canteen that time. Uh, yes, but- yes. <laughs> that seems like typical Tony to me, rather than just being nasty. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, like everyone, he, he has his moments, and <laughs> certainly had his moments when he when he was top dog. But yeah, yeah I can only say good things about. I'm the sure. Bike. I'm sure. And I'm, I'm but what a what a way to close that because I am gonna bring this podcast to a close for the A side, the first half of this podcast, um, which of course means. I'm going to ask you a break question. So for anyone who doesn't know, basically I'm going to ask James a question and I'm not going to get him to answer now. I'm going to give him the break to think about his answer and I want his answer after the break. So if you're ready, mate, I've actually changed my break question for what I was going to have because uh, I think this is better. Um, so imagine that you're back of the sea line behind the bar pulling pints and somebody connected to Stoke City in some way walks in who out of past or present would you most like it to be and who out of past or present would you least like it to be difficult question but again I'm not going to get your answer now I'm going to get your answer after the break and with that that brings the A side of File 43 to a close as I alluded to on the podcast I've known James well before this podcast and 
probably so will a lot of you. He's done a lot within the Stoke community, a lot within the local community for Stoke-on-Trent as well, and he will do a lot more, I'm sure. Um, and speaking of a lot more, there's plenty more to come on the B-side of this podcast, which will be released around a week after this A-side going live, so make sure you keep an eye on your podcast feeds for that. I also just want to quickly address the dozens of you who've signed up for FanHub uh, using my codes. Thank you ever so much for that. Uh, I hope you're enjoying your experience in there and some of you may be even listening to the podcast on the FanHub app. Um, if you've not got in there just yet, I'm out of codes to skip the waitlist. Uh, the link in the description will still be there to download FanHub, uh, but I'm out of codes. But if you send me a direct message on social media or an email, I'm sure the next time I'll get one, I'll be able to sort you out. And just a reminder that this show relies on people like you to take part as well. Head to the com and click get involved to find out more. You can send a message on at the files on social media or an email to the files at mail.com. Again, if you've got any questions, that just seems to say thank you very much for listening and until the next one. But don't forget, it could be your far one day. There's an easy to your. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. So I was an upwards baby, far away from the wild goose chase. My shoulders are so rigid. Pants of mine